Being grounded in GovCon is a must-do to be successful. What do we mean by that? Glad you asked. Although the government space is massive from a total dollar spent perspective, understanding and operating in this space is heavily nuanced. In order to win, deliver, and sustain growth, understanding the rules, regulations, policies, and the nuances of agencies you intend to engage, as well as understanding the spoken and unspoken rules of engagement amongst potential partners could mean the difference between success and failure. Welcome to Unveiled, GovCon Stories, where we explore the experiences and share the stories of small businesses and government contracting to spotlight the often sugar-coated or avoided discussions that speak to the reality of doing business within the U.S. public sector as a small business. With your co-hosts, I'm Tasha Jones and Yaswin. On this episode, we are joined by Constance Jackson, an acquisition SME in government contracting who has over 20 years experience and has consulted with government contractors, large and small. During her tenure in government contracting, she has served as a senior contracts administrator, contracts manager, proposal manager, senior acquisition consultant, acquisition subject matter expert, and acquisition liaison. Her experience is unique as it includes full life cycle procurement, providing support to federal contractors with proposal and contracts management, and in support to federal agencies with acquisition, source selection, and post-contract award. Constance has completed over 200 acquisition, contracts, and proposal management in contract officer representative courses with the Defense Acquisition University, also known as DAU, the Federal Acquisition Institute, FAI, and the National Contracts Management Association, NCMA. Constance completed the Paralegal Studies Program at George Mason University and the Acquisition and Procurement Program at Northern Virginia Community College. In 2013, Constance was certified in federal contracts by NCMA. And most recently, Constance was one of the first contractors to receive a certification credential valid for five years from DAU in acquisition and risk management. In her spare time, she enjoys reading, spending time with family, traveling domestically and abroad, and all things GovCon. Welcome, Constance. Glad to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So we have a very interesting conversation lined up today. And I, I, I got to say it because it is just so relevant to what it'll be. And I think you guys will realize and agree with me as we get going. We are going to have GovCon Church today, y'all. <laughs> Amen. All right. Okay. So let's jump right into it. Constance, we, we, we know a little bit about your background. We understand that you are a heavily credentialed uh, acquisition subject matter expert. But I think to many listening to this, they may not understand exactly what it means to be a acquisition subject matter expert. I think people make a lot of assumptions when they hear the word acquisition um, and may not know how how varied uh, the, 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 the skill set as well as the opportunities that fall within acquisitions management may be. So can you give us a little bit more um, to help explain for those that aren't as familiar with the, the world of acquisitions and GovCom? Absolutely. So um, in acquisitions with the federal government, it means acquiring of services or products and the means, especially for federal government. So it is the process of developing a request for a proposal. There are um, several documents that go into what is considered an acquisition package. And those documents are created in the uh, program office. Uh, where there are, you know, project managers and program managers, 
and we deliver that package to the contracting officer and the contracting officer ensures that everything that is supposed to be done legally for a RFP to be issued and a contract to be awarded to actually happen. So I do all of those front-end documents, provide them to the program office, who then provides those document documents to the contracting officer. They go through their process. We do source selection once we receive proposals. And once uh, the proposals are reviewed by the program management team, the contracting officer steps in again to ensure everything that has been that it needs to be done has been done legally, gets approvals, and then a contract is awarded. So that is pretty much what an acquisition person does, um, helping to write the statement of work, telling the agency what means you're going to use to, you know, if you're going to use like some type of schedule to find uh, particular vendors, if you're going to issue a brand new contract award, what the contract type is, what the dollars that are in the budget are allowed for. And again, this is whether it's services or products. <gasps> Take a breath. That's right? <laughs> and I'm sure a lot of are like pausing to take a breath too because most people probably didn't realize that there are contractors that actually work in that role and it's not only feds. Yes, I am a government contractor. I am not a person who is employed by the federal government. So does all agencies have the same process? All agencies do not have the same process and all contracting officers do not require the same process even within the same agency, within the same division in the same agency. So they have a little leeway in terms of what they can require and what is considered a complete package. So for those that are listening, I hope that you got out a sheet of paper or your digital tablet or, or something because you're not familiar with this line of work and, and not familiar with the, the, the what goes on behind the scenes before you pull up that opportunity on SAM or uh, one of the other several, there aren't that many, uh, platforms that actually list opportunities. We're going to dig into it, a lot of it today. So hopefully you all are listening and, and, and taking notes. So you said that in the same agency, uh, contract different contract officers can have different processes or different approaches to how they do certain things. Well, what does that mean for contractors that may have an issue where, you know, one contract that they have, let's give an a example, I think we were talking about before with the firm fixed price, you know, it's taking them forever to get onboarded and one contractor is allowing the contractor to bill during that time, whereas another contract officer is saying that they can't bill during that time, what's the recourse and, and what what is what is there for contractors to do in situations like that when you have such variance, even within the same agency, potentially? It may sound crazy, but you honestly have to learn how to work with your particular contracting officer. Because, you know, as you mentioned, um, I'm aware of an agency where doing onboarding and people are going through the background process. Some contracting officers allow you to bill even though no work is being done because the contract has been awarded. There are other contracting officers within the same agency that will not allow you to bill because you're not actually doing any work. Is one wrong over the other? Is one right? It's their interpretation of the rules. And so even if you are, have business in the same agency, you have to learn how to 
work your relationships and how things work with a particular contracting officer. And also knowing the rules because you can challenge what the contracting officer is saying, but if you're going to challenge them, you need to make sure that either you or someone on your team knows the rules regarding what they're challenging them on. And what are the rules? What are the rules? You keep saying the rules. I mean, yeah. we, might, we might need to limit that to like the top three. <laughs> well, I mean, the body, um, the body of rules. What are the okay, body, you're saying yeah, the body what's the, of what's the body of okay. rules? So first of all, you know, in the majority of cases, the federal acquisition regulations, there are agencies that are non-FAR based that do not follow the FAR, but the ones that I'm aware of, while they are not required to follow the FAR, they do create policy that is derived directly from the FAR. So the federal acquisition regulations, there are supplements that go with certain agencies like DOD, they have supplements, DFARs. Other agencies, they have internal policies, Homeland Security, they have their own <laughs> acquisition manual. Then you got to deal with the policies, again, of the non-FAR agencies. So it is a lot of information to try to learn and try to understand in order to do business with the government. Yeah, is this kind of... Let's pull, let's pull the, the, the try to learn thread. You know I'm a thread puller. Yeah, yes, yes. I was about to go there too. I'm like, we're talking. We just talk, just talking about that. We you were know? in another episode. We were actually talking a little bit about the challenges as a small business of in a number of areas. One of which, and I'll pose this question to you, Constance. One of the questions was around where do you invest your money as a small business? And I we were literally not arguing, but we were having an intellectual conversation around how to invest as a small business. And one of the statements that I posed, and it wasn't really even a question, was our contracts or finance folks, those, those subject matter experts or your legal guidance. And sometimes your contracts and legal folks for a small business are kind of bundled into one. But is that one of the first things you invest in? And I think Tasha and I both ended up agreeing by way of the conversation. That is, as a small business, one of the first and probably best um, investments you can make. And I think you were kind of alluding to that when you're talking about challenging regulations or understanding um, the acquisition that you are potentially, you know, engaging in with the government. Um, would you agree that that's one of the first things a small business should invest in? Or is that something you think that someone could kind of learn and tackle on their own as a small business, seeing as how you've, you know, gone through a lot of education yourself? Well, I've been around the block. Um, I just, earned another certification a couple of weeks ago. And there were things that I learned that I was not aware of, even though I've been around for 20 plus years. So are you going to learn everything? If you're a one person shop and you're trying to do business with the government, am I saying that you should not attempt to do business at all before you know everything? No, you're never gonna know everything. That, that, that person does not exist in GovCon, the person who knows everything, because there are just too many different nuances too many different ways that, you know, each organization handles things and they handle them differently. But you should try to learn as much as you can or have someone on your team who can learn or who can provide you guidance because you just don't want to jump into anything without knowing what the potential pitfalls are. Yeah. So, yeah, I am a big fan. And, you know, I've seen small businesses who happen to win contracts. And once they win a contract, they don't think they need any assistance 
with legal <laughs> contracts or anything like that. They're like, I got this and I, I don't I don't need I don't want to spend that money. And we get it because small businesses don't have a lot of capital and it can be expensive to hire a legal person, a contracts person, et cetera. But if you want to be successful, you have to invest in your business that way, in my opinion. Yes. And you want to make sure that just because you won don't mean you're going to keep it. <laughs> That's a whole nother, a yes. whole nother thing. And if, and if you didn't read your contract is like you're supposed to and really dissect it to understand what you're responsible for in execution, you know, there's so many liabilities and risks that are associated with um, delivering and then sustaining that contract. So you're very, very right on um, the the investment piece is, is y'all so eloquently put that we had a discussion about, you know, um, where that first, those early investments should go. I do believe that that's one that is, that you shouldn't skimp on, let alone just being able to deliver appropriately, keeping you out of jail. <laughs> cause, yeah. cause GovCon can go left and yeah. you end up in a world of hurt. And, and when you say that some of those things that can happen, you know, they, they go from harm to your business to potentially, you know, personal financial uh, pitfalls. Mm-hmm. And you just don't want to find yourself in that situation. And when you don't know the rules, if a CO or a contract specialist, somebody says something to you, you're not even in a position where you can challenge what they're saying because you don't know what if what they're saying is accurate or not. Especially now. So, you know, as we were just saying how like, okay, they, there's all these new policies and um, opportunities that government is trying to uh, put more dollars towards the small business industrial base and, and contracting. Um, and it seems it's getting hard to just understand like what does it really mean uh, with the what was the most recent one is the small disadvantaged business um, notice with regards to increasing the total uh, percent of dollars being obligated um, to businesses with that designation and just understanding like what is in those policies what's in that allowance uh, for that designation I think there's another one about equity right that recently came out. Um, racial equity that's impacting like some of the set asides. Um, there's a new memo that was put out with regards to new entrants and um, how government agencies are supposed to um, start tracking. And then there's supposed to be new policy associated with them, ensuring that new entrants have opportunity or are being awarded oppor- uh, contracts as well. And I mean, these are all tertiary type allowances and policies in GovCon, but they have real impact and uh, potential for small businesses. But how do you know if you don't understand how that ties to the regulations and to your contract? And it's, it, it's a lot of parts and pieces, moving parts and pieces that you have to keep up with and understand in order to um, be able to just navigate. And we haven't even started talking about the unspoken rules <laughs> and just navigating with competitors and being respectful of the relationship of a prime sub, but still growing your business potentially like in the same in the same agency and things like that. So a question for you, Constance. Another question for you. Um, as we're talking about kind of the life cycle of growing with the small, growing with the government as a small business or a business in general, but particularly small business growing in GovCon, we also kind of threw out 
because we're comfortable with these terms, things like acquisition lifecycle and understanding how to work with a CEO and understanding how to navigate this chess game, if you will. But I want to kind of go back in time a little bit or, or back into the front end of the life cycle, because a lot of what you talked about in terms of your role is helping to put these packages together that are then put out on the street for competition. What are some kind of useful things you can kind of clue us all in on that, you know, none of us know everything, like you said earlier, that contractors should be aware of pre-release of an opportunity that they should know how to navigate or questions that they should know how to ask or things that should be top of mind that are earlier in the life cycle of an acquisition, but are also still safe, things you can do legally and, and, and not be in violation of a contract or any sort of rules. Because as we'll probably jump into, the game changes once an opportunity has been put on the street. So what are some of those early life cycle things that you see that businesses should do more to capitalize on as a an, a new entrant or existing government contractor? Um, so if it's a contract that is being recompeted, you know, keeping track of that, keeping track that if the government is doing what they're supposed to do, at least two years out, they've already started on the recompete. Pause. You know, Did y'all hear that? I'm sorry. I didn't hear two anything. Years out. Two years, folks, two years. I, we spend a lot of time six weeks out from an opportunity, right, proposal. So I just wanted to reiterate that she just said two years. Okay, I'm sorry for interrupting. Because people get stuck, they get stuck on these things and they're like, oh, it just came out. It didn't just come out. The opportunity did not just come out. They didn't just decide that they wanted to buy $8 million worth of something. It didn't just happen, y'all. It didn't just happen. I'm sorry, go ahead. So if it's a recompete, you know, 18 months to two years is usually where if things are being responsible and you're not waiting till the last minute, you are looking to buy those services again. If it's brand new, it could be even longer than that. So again, what you just mentioned about spending $8 million of taxpayer money, <laughs> there are a lot of rules that govern how you spend this money and you need to make sure that you have gone through the channels to, you know, make sure the money is budgeted, that on the front end, that we know what the need is, why we need this, et cetera. So working with the Office of um, Small Disadvantaged Business Utilization, working with this office, as well as trying to get in with the people who are on the program side to see what you can offer to help them to solve a problem, et cetera. And when I say that solving a problem is not telling them that you are an 8A agent, that you're an 8A company, that you're a woman-owned small business, those things absolutely come into play and you should certainly share those. But what you need to lead with is the fact that you can solve a problem for them because you've done it repeatedly in your past and you've been successful with either commercial contracts or other government agencies. Appreciate that. that. And I think I asked that question because um, I think all of us have experienced it, especially with you also having proposal experiences, that there's a lot of time spent being uh, reactive and it, it goes across the board. It's, it's just, uh, almost that argue, almost human nature that we react to th more things than we are proactive about. But 
just wanted to reiterate that point because as a small business, as we're talking about contracts and we're talking about acquisitions, part of your thought process really needs to also be about getting ahead of opportunities and showing that you can provide your potential customer, hopefully your customer, a value-added service to meet a need that they have. And they are forming these needs or refining these needs as early as two years in advance of an opportunity. So if you're just having a conversation and you know that a solicitation is dropping in three weeks, you are probably one of the last people they want to talk to. So just you know, a heads up on that front. So does that mean, Constance, that a year and a half out that I should call the contract officer to build a relationship with them so that I can get some, so I can get a contract? Is that how that's supposed to go? By the way, you guys, if you we don't have the video, you can't see my face is looking very clownish with a big smile as I'm asking this question. <laughs> Many people will tell you that you need to reach out to the contracting officer. And there are definitely contracting officers who have repeatedly awarded contracts for the same services. So they may know a little about a little bit about or a lot about what's needed for that particular contract because they have been on the ground awarding the contract repeatedly or awarding contracts for a particular service. But when it comes to what is actually needed, the program office, they're the ones who know what is needed. Even if they are not the particular buyer, they are working with the buyer to draft the documents, the statement of work, the performance work statement, et cetera, for them to get what it is that they need. So understanding that you need to either work with the buyer because they know what they want or working with the program office, working with the contracting officer is probably not going to get you very far if they chat with you at all. Well, can the contract officer help me get in touch with the right people? Absolutely. When and, and a lot of that information comes to me when companies send their capability statements in because I support the program office, they come to me. And I, you know, I'm not necessarily a technical person, but I know some of the things that they're looking for with their needs and their requirements. And so I can pass that capability statement over to whoever the technical person is, whoever's program it is, et cetera and say, hey, you might want to take a look at this particular company because it looks like they may be able to meet the needs or requirements for uh, this particular acquisition. And what type of, what are, can you give our listeners um, just some insight on a few of the types of questions that are good questions versus questions that you submit when you're asking a contract office or something about um, an opportunity that they're listed as the POC on? And what constitutes like bad questions, like questions that just probably a pet peeves or contract officers that just. Like yeah. the one like when Sam, it says it's going to be released yesterday. Do you have an update? <laughs> <laughs> yes. The intent is always good. The intent to do something by a particular date or time is always good. It just doesn't happen that way because there are a lot of moving parts behind the scenes. The CEO may want to release something, but legal has said, wait. And you will never understand that because you don't know, you know, what's going on. But there's so many, you know, policy, legal, et cetera, all of these people who have to approve not only the contract award, but even the re release of the RFP. You know, it goes through so many different channels before it reaches 
Sam as an actual, this is now something that we're um, looking for vendors to respond to. So the intent is always there. We think we can get it done in this particular amount of time, but sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. And so you cannot harass the COs about <laughs> not getting something released on time. You cannot harass them about other vendors. You know, um, I think that, you know, just being patient, and I know it's difficult sometimes because, you know, you have this in your pipeline and you're ready to go and the government's not ready to go, but it, it, using some patience when you're dealing with this process, I would say is probably my number one piece of advice for uh, vendors, small businesses, large businesses, et cetera. So on that same vein, there are a lot of different schools of thought and obviously times have changed. Things are transitioning. We do a lot more digitally than we used to versus our in-person meetings pre-COVID where we, or even further back than that, you're printed out decks that you wanted to leave behind when you had finally got an opportunity to speak with someone. But um, what are maybe some suggestions you may have for how now in this quite hybrid in world that we work in and navigate in and, you know, when you're reduced to mostly phone calls, what are some tactics or things that you maybe offer to small businesses that do want to get in touch with, you know, the program office or, or the buying agent? And they're just not sure because we don't have necessarily that face-to-face -face interaction the way that we used to. A lot of times, if they are in charge of a particular program, they have that listed in their either bio or their title on LinkedIn. So you can reach a lot of people through LinkedIn. And the, again, the special, the special, the small business office is there to help small businesses that are trying to enter government contracts. You have to use those people. That is what they're there for. And one of the things like, for instance, Homeland Security, and this is a thing that not all agencies do in the same way, but any acquisition that I was putting together for Homeland Security, I had to meet with their small business person to go through the entire package to show them why a small business, when doing my research, why a small business could not be considered for that particular acquisition, why we couldn't do a set aside. There was a particular meeting that had to happen before the RFP could be released because they are fighting for small businesses to get work. If we can show them that there are two more businesses that have an expertise in a particular area, then especially, you know, if it's under $250,000, $250,000, they want to release it to small business. So not a, every agency requires you to have this meeting, but when you're doing the documentation for an acquisition, they want you to show that a small business cannot do this particular work, no matter what the dollar value is. Yeah. And I think to piggyback on that also, and not, again, it's nuanced, depending on the agencies that you're pursuing, something else that may be uh, uh, available to get access as a technique is the uh, roundtables or the, like you can register and actually present your capabilities. I know HHS does that. I know that I thought, and I may be lying guys, but I'm just going to try and pull it off the cuff. I believe IRS is starting to do it as well, but I definitely know HHS has was doing that before. And there's several other uh, components within DHS too that are starting to have 
these sessions where they bring together people on the program side after small submit their packages, their, their capabilities, and they fill out a form and it allows you to present on a topic that your company has a capability on. And if you do do something like that, don't take it lightly. Definitely put effort into planning and don't just brief your capability statement, like really do some do some research and look at some of the potential problems that the agency may be having, which you can go onto the GAO website and look up the agency and see like some of their outstanding issues that they're having. You can easily do a Google search because when agencies really messing up, it's news reports out there, articles about the stuff that went wrong. And, and simple enough, use the resources that are on the small business liaison, the Ozdibu websites where they have the forecast. You can easily look up on SAM or if you have a paid and market intelligence platform like Federal Compass or something comparable, you can easily look at contracts that are going to be expiring like in the next anywhere, six to 18 months and that align with your, comp- your company's competencies and or your set aside or other quals uh, that may be relevant for your business. And so there's a lot of opportunities, I think, to get access to and techniques that you could use to get access to program people. Events is another one. You know, stalk the agencies with their events. Depending on the type of event, oftentimes they have program people that attend. I know few federal employed women is one of the organizations that, you know, you could easily get involved in. And there's all types of government people. There's not just contracts people, it's program people, there's operations and support. So the industry organizations, I think, is another one. Uh, you know, DOD side, AFCIA, INSA is in Intel, I believe. These are organizations that bridge the gap and they, they address problems between government and industry. And you have government people that participate on panels and that go to the events as well as industry members. So I'm I'm going to pause there because I, I could go on and on and on about like these different techniques and things you could do, but there's there's definitely avenues because the government isn't going to accommodate you as the business. You're going to have to learn in ways of navigating what is available to your benefit. And it's interesting, a, a slight pivot, but still very much relevant to the, the conversation we were just having, Tasha, and the, a lot of things that you pointed out. With there being so many opportunities to engage with government and work different avenues to try and meet the right names and faces and, and, and be able to tell your story and also explain why you why you are that value-added partner to the government, there's still some staggering statistics. Right now, reported by the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, it says that 18% of small businesses fail within their first year, while 50% fail after five years, and approximately 65% by their 10th year in business. Constance, I'd be interested to get your take on on what you're seeing, because we talked a little bit about the early life cycle of getting engaged and understanding opportunities before they come out. Let's say you, you win a contract. How is it with so much work coming out of the government um, that we're seeing such staggering numbers. And I'm, I know there are a multitude of reasons why businesses may not work. So my intent to the audience is not to downplay this like it's something overly simplistic that can be captured in a 10-second conversation. But I would like to hear from Constance, from your side of the, the figurative sense, um, how it is that some of these businesses can be awarded contracts or be working and still not be successful after four, five, six, seven, almost 10 years in business working in GovCon, especially. 
I guess I would give an example of someone that I supported uh, that had a company that was excellent at the work. They knew the work, but they did not know how GovCon works. So they found themselves in a terrible financial situation um, with the people that they had hired to take care of their accounting and financial business. The first rule for dealing with the government as a business is the government wants responsible businesses, small businesses, large businesses. What they consider responsible is one, knowing the rules, being financially sound, being able to, if they need a particular product or service and that's a part of your contract, being able to source for that product or that service. And if something happens like you don't know how to invoice properly because all of your work in the past has been commercial and you are not able to pay your employees because you didn't get paid on time because you didn't send in what the government considers and what your contract states is a proper invoice, that your people can still get paid. That is what the government considers responsible, that you are financially sound. You not getting paid after 30 days or 15 days, you know, currently is their goal as a small business should not put you in a situation where you're going to go bankrupt. So knowing how to stand your business up and being responsible because of those things, um, I think a lot of people enter the government market and they're not in that place and it's not emphasized to them, um, especially over the last couple of years, as I was saying to Tasha earlier, you have a lot of people who are telling you, jump in the government market you can win, you can win a lot of business, you can make a lot of money. And they're not telling you that once you win a contract, that there's a lot of responsibility that is required for you to be successful in the government market. Yes. And just the, and the cycle, especially on the, on the topic of funds and money and invoicing in government, uh, I guess just like in commercial, but in government more so depending on how the size of the contract, like you can be in arrears, what, 60, 90, 90 days, um, depending on how everything is set up and when you can get your first invoices through and everything. And so depending on how, whatever the size of that contract is and how many you know employees you have, the overhead, you may have to get products. Um, there's all these, I feel, I see it, yeah. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, I mean, none of that's the government's problem. And no, think, it's not. I think that's where there's probably some misconception. Mm -hmm. um, you are being asked to provide a product or service that you committed to. Yeah. You, read, you read it, you responded, you listed things that you could do, which is usually for us contractors, everything. <laughs> and the government awards it based upon what you submitted. They're expecting you to staff it. They're expecting you... And I'm sure there are, everyone's still human. There are good intentions. There's a desire to help businesses succeed. And government, I don't think there's any malice. Um, but at the same time, how you operate as a small business and how you employ your folks and, and all of those things um, required to keep your retention where it needs to be and be able to deliver on the products or services you committed to aren't, the, the details of that aren't the government's responsibility they're yours, and the expectation is that you're delivering the products or services that you've committed to. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but in many ways, it is really quite that simple when it comes to the lines of delineation of responsibility when you've been awarded the contract. 
And with that, we are coming towards the end. I would like to get from you, Constance, any calls to action, final words, feedback, input, pet peeves, any nuggets, jewels, gems that would help our listeners be able to navigate this space a bit better, be a bit more cautious about who they're partnering with. Anything you got for them? Absolutely. Um, One of the things I say is read your contract in its entirety if you do want a contract. Read your contract. Make sure you understand the contract. If there's anything in your contract that you didn't agree to is not what you proposed to the government, reach out to the CO immediately via the phone and then send something in writing to support whatever it is that you disagree with. Making sure things like the uh, statement of work is accurate, your contract value is accurate, your contract funding is accurate. I had a situation recently, and this happened with a large business. A small business could not afford to be in this situation. When you have a firm fixed price contract, your base year is supposed to be fully funded, unless there's some you know, issue going on that should be heavily documented. If you have a firm fixed price contract, you should be fully funded for your entire base year. And the base year, we call it the base year, but it could be two months, it could be two years, it could be five years, it could be 10 years. Um, there's no specific base period. So whatever that time frame is, even if it's 10 years, the government is supposed to fund your contract. Well, this large business did not know that they were supposed to be fully funded and they haven't been paid in over six months. Wow. Because they didn't know the rules. And this is a large business. Wow. And I happen to be talking to the CEO and the program manager. And I was brand new to the contract and the CO says, oh, well, this isn't right. And I immediately knew what she was speaking of. The program manager didn't even realize that the contract was supposed to be fully funded for the base period. Uh-huh. No small business can go six months without getting any payments. And they had continued to do work. And this is a large business. So this you know, just goes back to, again, knowing the rules, reading either you, you, I haven't seen many successful businesses. I'm not saying that it doesn't work. I haven't seen many successful businesses where they actually know the work and they can do the gov the govcom piece of it as well successfully. Um, I'm sure there are people out there, but either you know you knowing or having somebody on your team who knows what the rules are and can provide guidance to you and also that you can use to 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 check or challenge things that don't appear to be accurate to you. Well, one last ask. Constance, because this is something we talked about. Um, There is a lot of social media evangelists out there selling the wares of expertise. And um, I have seen a couple few companies that are doing over a million in revenue uh, contracts they've won and can't spell GovCon, but are trying to teach others their wares. And, And do you have any words of wisdom? related to that topic? Um, Check everything that anyone shares with you. Um, There's fpds.gov. And anyone who's told you that they've won contracts, they've won millions of dollars, it's very easy. They might not have everything if the person is a subcontractor. But the majority of government contracts that have been won are in fpds.gov. And you can type in the name, you can type in whatever the service or product is. There's tons of ways for you to verify things that you have heard. And so make fpds.gov your friend. It's free. Yes. And also just like she said that it's a subcontract or we'd also like to caveat if they have classified work or 
anything like that. It may not be in, in that particular platform, but there are ways to check. And I would also state that I understand people on social media pushing GovCon and they're telling their experience. But as we have stated on this, GovCon is heavily nuanced. It's very nuanced. If anybody says that they know everything and all about GovCon, I would have a red flag should go up immediately because no one knows everything about government. I don't care how long they've been in government. It is just too nuanced to know all the bits and pieces. Yas was just telling me she just heard of a new agency and didn't even know it existed. I've had that happen to me as well. There's hundreds of government agencies, pseudo agencies, quasi agencies, bureaus, like, you know, there's a lot. And so depending on where you, your experience has been and what you've been exposed to, you you won't know everything for every space. And with and that, you have resources. Yeah, uh, I said, and you know, we're encouraging folks to use the resources. Use yes. your octoboos. Use phone a friend. I mean, there's a, a thousand ways to to get smart on on working in the GovCon industry as a whole. It don't require losing your shirt. Just be smart about it, and 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 reach out to folks in the industry like the constants uh, of the world that actually specialize in these things and can even if not provide you direct guidance can also help you find resources that can. Absolutely. And with that, you have been to GovCon Church. Being grounded in GovCon is a must to be successful. Understanding and operating in this space is heavily nuanced and your competence would mean the difference between success and failure. As you have heard on our episode today with Ms. Constance Jackson, having a grounding and an understanding in how to navigate this market understanding how to connect uh, with not only the contract officers, but your program staff, potential partners that you would have and what the rules and regulations are, knowing where to go when you have questions, being considerate of the nuances for the spaces that you're pursuing, understanding the opportunities don't pop out of a hat. Those There's a long tail when it comes to government contracting on opportunities and how those are procured. And with that, Thank you so much for joining us on Unveil GovCon Stories. Make sure to tune in every Wednesday and send us construction fe- constructive feedback, recommendations about things you'd like to learn, your stories, your thoughts, um, topics you may have in mind. We're open to all the feedback and, and maybe one day even have you as a, a contributor or a guest on the show. So we appreciate all of you for listening in. Please subscribe, like, and share our podcast to spread the word. Um, And that concludes our episode. Thank you again, Constance, for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us on Unveiled GovCon Stories, a High 39 media production with your hosts, Tasha and Yaz. Until next time.